Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome back to Stories to Keep You Up at Night. I'm your curator and host, Marco Palmieri, and back in the co-host seat is the always animated Christina Teleska. <laughs> That's fair. Even decaffeinated, I seem caffeinated. Great to be here. It's so great to have you back, Christina. So let me start by asking, how's your knowledge of anime? Well, this is embarrassing, um, but it's not much, I'm afraid. Only what my 20-something son tells me about. My anime knowledge is practically zilch. I mean, when I was growing up, all I knew about Japanese animation was Speed Racer, Kimba the White Lion, and Gigantor. I would learn much later that these were known in Japan as Mach Go Go Go, Jungle Emperor, and Tetsujin 28 Go, respectively. It wasn't until my 40s that I experienced the work of Studio Ghibli for the first time and got to know their beautiful work in the genre. More recently, my sons got me hooked on Attack on Titan, which I gotta say is batshit insane, but I'm so impressed with it. But I missed out on the whole magical girl craze. And from what I gathered listening to this week's story, that's a subgenre of anime that merited further exploration. It's a subgenre I am very excited to explore. So let's get to it. What happens to magical anime girls when they grow into adulthood? The same thing that happens to the rest of us. Without further ado, this is Hurricane Heels, written by Isabel Yap and voiced by Gail Shalin. In hindsight, we should have expected things would go to shit. Like always. But it was Friday, and Selena was getting married, and we wanted to drink and dance and not blow up monsters for one night. That's how I reasoned anyway, as I slipped through orange slime on my way to Aiko's motionless body, wondering why the fuck we'd been so careless. How quickly could we stop the blob monster from pummeling downtown? The evening had started at Rhea's house where she'd baked penis-shaped cookies and gotten everyone fuzzy little tiaras. It was already hilarious how bad we were going to be at this. We tried. We even dressed in the appropriate colors. I came in a dark green shift, holding my gift exchange. Three boxes of Nespresso refills and a picture book of hot guys holding puppies. At least one of those was bound to make the recipient happy. Rhea opened the door, laughed at my makeup 
despite efforts, glam was not in my vocabulary, and waved me in. Natalie was sipping light beer, ignoring the pink champagne that had been poured into delicately frosted glasses. Aika was running her thumb over the books on Rhea's shelf, picking out titles at random. Selena got up from where she was patting Rhea's French bulldog and gave me a tight hug. She was wearing a sash that read, Soon to be bride, motherfuckers. I'm still the last one? I tried to get there early, but my timing jinx was in full force, even as I'd braved the subway, and one too many cat calls, in this unashamed party getup. Selena faked a frown. We expect nothing less from you, Alex, she said. You're just a bunch of early birds. Whatever. Let's get started. Rhea had been appointed grand dame of the bachelorette party. An obvious choice. Besides Selena, she was the least awkward. She knew her way around a nightclub, got swanky discounts from her event planner friends, and was queen bee at social life. She made us gather in a circle around her low, tasteful dining table. I ate a frosted penis cookie. We toasted Selena's impending marriage to the impeccable Robert Myers, and Natalie added that, should he ever break her heart, we would break his bones. Selena smiled sweetly and told us that she'd break them herself. We did the gift exchange, in which Rhea shrieked upon receiving my offering, and I got an extremely practical Amazon gift card from Natalie. Next, we played five rounds of a drinking game that made absolutely no sense. I remember tossing down cards and shrieking whenever hearts came up. Then I think we played a round of spoons using utensils with boobs on the handles. By the end of it, we were buzzed and ready for dinner. Dinner was at an exceptional steak and seafood place on Madison Avenue. Someone got Dungeness crabs as an appetizer. As I cracked a juicy leg open, I thought, oh God, who is going to pay for this? I turned towards Rhea, who winked. Splitsies, darling, she said. Well, that was fair. I eagerly returned to my crab. The waiter, who I'll admit looked rather dapper in his suit, was overly flirty with everyone but especially with Aiko, who eventually said, Dude, I'm taken. Aiko was the most poker-faced liar. We had a good snicker about that. All in all, a normal dinner. For us. I had to give this some thought. I'd been almost successfully ignoring the fact of Selena's impending marriage to the impeccable Robert Myers, and what this would mean for us. For the unbeatable equilibrium we'd had for years or at least since we were wide-eyed ingenues in our training bras, attending summer camp in the same forest where goddesses roamed the earth and had too much time on their hands. No one had asked. Or if anyone had, I didn't know about it. Was Selena quitting? Was quitting an option? Would she be bequeathing her magic watch? It looked rather like a baby G, and I'd always been a bit envious of it. To a new, trusted girl? Or would we then be reduced to four? Lacking her pink bleeding into our rainbow. Lacking her grace and her bountiful hammer smash, which indeed could break bones. Was Selena going to be happy? Or was all this speculation irrelevant because even after marriage she'd still be with us, same as always? Had she ever called on the goddess? Demanded release? 
Was marriage an accessory to freedom? I couldn't ask. I desperately wished someone else would ask. Dessert? The waiter reappeared, slightly crushed, but gallantly trying. We got lava cake, and creme brulee, and strawberry cheesecake. I ate until I was bursting, then ordered a dessert coffee because we were going to stay up past my bedtime and I could be a royal baby with enough sleep deprivation. Next, put these on, Rhea said, passing out headbands with penises stuck to them in lieu of alien antenna. Natalie burst out laughing. Iko looked ready to die of embarrassment, but she wore it anyway, after Selena gleefully jammed a pair onto her head. We left in a parade of bouncing penises and emerged into the cool Manhattan evening, where the city's bright lights and faint pizza smells bore no warning of the terrifying monster that would soon emerge from dark dimensions. Where to? I asked, hopped up on party drinks and Irish coffee churning together in my belly. Abs, Rhea answered. Iko said, oh dear God, no. But the rest of us just decided that the hilarity must continue. We trooped forth, expertly sidestepping potholes in our heels, a candy-colored group of five. It was stupid, yet inevitable, that we had all ended up in New York. Like the laziest of superhero cliches. But fighting was easier in a group, and besides, I didn't really think of myself as a superhero, even if my fist, in the right glove, could punch its way through an oversized worm or a particularly aggressive stalker. We were best friends, and magical girls. Now ladies. Now women. How bizarre. And that was it. I don't think any of us believed it when we got chosen, and were still wondering what to do with our hands, our lack of fear. Then... Our first monster appeared, all dolled up for us to slay it, and we realized this wasn't a joke. That's what I felt anyway, vomiting after a tentacle slapped my stomach, white-hot pain searing across my insides while everything inside me screamed, I don't want to die, not yet, and why, 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 why? Then my eyes focused on the bracelet the crazy forest lady had slipped onto my wrist, and my mouth was suddenly whispering that song she'd been humming. My mouth was suddenly apart from me, and a bright light lifted me up, a strange song of pain, warping into a blouse around me, a skirt wrapping over my hands and feet and neck, long strands of it billowing behind me in a dazzling array of rainbow colors that hurt my eyes, like I was standing in a disco on the cheapest acid. Not that I'd ever tasted acid then. Not that I'd ever imagined anything like this. But there was a strength filling my arms and legs and a song of power lurching against my breast that I wouldn't have believed for a second could be mine. I was shit at sports and did better with mental computation, Kumon math, baby, and blowing up Starcrafts on my computer. But suddenly... I was jumping to my feet. Suddenly, I was doing a freaking backflip. I could still taste the vomit that had leaked out of my mouth, but the white light slapped itself around me, into clothes, and began filling my fingers and fists, and the bracelet had extended into a chain whip that dangled from my hand. 
The galactic octopus made a curious squealing sound when my whip lashed into it. Although my body remained on autopilot, fragments of my consciousness started returning, and I thought of the other girls. Iko I knew from down the street, but there was the peppy blonde one, and the boisterous one that screamed leader, and the dark, gorgeous one with the lazy grin. And were they alive? I whipped back a tentacle that had lifted itself out of the water to wave at me and heard a chainsaw rev, saw a set of silver teeth smashing down so that grayish liquid sprayed everything. I wobbled backwards on the heels of the boots I was suddenly wearing and picked up a corner of my skirt, dazedly wondering where my favorite cargo shorts had gone. Alex? Another girl asked, closer. One hand tugged my shoulder back. I seized it, staring at her, not sure what the hell my face was doing. She said, It's Selena. Before ducking and hacking at something behind her with what appeared to be a battle axe made of light. When the octopus finally collapsed in the mud and our clothes morphed back to the raggedy casual ones we were wearing before everything went to shit, when the aches filtered into our bodies, pounded into our heads, reappeared as hastily healed scars and scratches along our limbs, I found myself at a loss for words, the whip now a bracelet on my wrist. I sank down into the muck and exhaled, and the one thought in my head was, I'm glad I'm not alone. Iko crawled up to me, half her face caked with blood. I lifted my hand to touch her, caring more for her than I ever did in all our years as neighbors. But she shook her head no. It healed, she said. What did you get? I asked. She looped one finger into her necklace, and her shoulders trembled with fatigue. I thought she was a hobo, I finally managed. A really pretty one. Aiko cracked a horrific, broken grin. I don't want this, I thought of telling her. But what good would it have done? Instead, I cried. A warbling cry that quickly dissolved into sobbing. We gathered in a circle, heads bent, bodies broken. We cried more that day than we ever cried in another battle. Or at least that's what I remember. Tears are a byproduct now, a moot point, a waste. Tears won't carry us through to victory. The fear of losing each other might. Who's been the closest to dying? Hard to say. Natalie once spent a week in intensive care, and I remember this cold iron feeling in my stomach every time I stopped by the hospital. She'd looked fine, mostly, which was the scary part, except she wasn't waking up. Rhea kept Natalie's earrings, which seemed to have grown dimmer, lacking that unearthly light that turned us all into weapons, warriors. Natalie finally woke on Selena's watch, and when I got the text, I cried like anything. The next day, I held her face in my hands, while she smirked and said, You're so weird, you know that? Stop worrying. I'd gotten both legs crushed in a golem's grip once. I didn't feel pain so much as shock, the numbness spreading up my thighs. But they'd yanked me into safety, and after a few days with the goddess Grace doing its thing, I could walk again, despite the doctor's better judgment. 
They took turns playing card games and Jenga with me until I was better. It was tough not to get casual about injury. After realizing how much everything hurt, it became a constant refrain, easy enough to swallow. Maybe the healing wouldn't last forever, but even now, after all these years, we could still leap and spin and slice with the best of them. There was a lot to be said for experience, even if the fighting looked sloppy. Aiko was a twice-over taekwondo black belt, and Rhea knew some Arnie's, but neither of those things directly translated to curb-stomping a monster in the eye, or using a scalloped blade to wedge through a screaming banshee. It was magic, and it gave us strength. If we woke up one day with a million cuts and our vital organs fucked up, well, we'd just have to deal with it. Like we've had to deal with every fucking day since. The poster outside the strip club, ahem, male review theater, said a wild night of fun, punctuated by faceless abs. Glittery clubgoers stood waiting, giggly, drunk, uncertain about how obscene this was going to be, or could be. Did they want it to be obscene? Did they want faceless abs lap dancing them for just one night when they could be wild girls? Was I being mean? Because I overate and felt bloated, and one of my best friends was getting married, and I was a big enough bitch that I couldn't be happy for her, couldn't even admit that I felt betrayed. Natalie squeezed my elbow. I turned to look at her and burped. She laughed. You okay? I'm fine, I said. Are we really going in there? Rhea will kill you if you back out now, she said. You didn't help plan, so you gotta go with it. And if you quit, we'll each have to pay $20 for your reservation. Okay, okay, I said, because Natalie did not need to go accountant on me right now. I took her hand from my elbow and held it. When she looked at me wonderingly, I remembered myself and flopped her wrist back and forth, like this was some kind of joke. She let me, which was nice of her. You think Aiko's gonna make it? I asked inclining my head at our friend. Aiko noticed me staring and pursed her lips. I shrugged. For some reason, I was still holding Natalie's hand. I put it down hastily. The bouncer pulled back the black cord that was keeping us out. Everyone cheered. Kill me, Aiko mumbled as we shuffled onto the dark steps. Ha ha, I answered while wondering why the hell anyone thought dark staircases for drunk clubbers was a good idea. We made it, somehow, and were ushered to plush couches right by the stage. A table full of cocktails sat ominously next to us. Presently, a bartender in a tight tank came to take our orders. Light beers for everyone. And a round of tequila shots. When he returned with our drinks, he extended the garter of his pants, ever so slightly. Rhea smoothly tucked a dollar bill inside it. The night is young, Rhea said, raising her shot glass. Leaving her lips, the words sounded like a warning. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Magical Girls Rhea was the anime fan both the least and most freaked out, the one who called a meeting in her tent the evening after we'd emerged from the forest and cleaned ourselves up. She asked each of us what the hell we knew and what we could do, asked us what the goddess told us, how the goddess had appeared to us, what did we want, why were we broken, what were our character types. Besides Selena equals Perky, it was hard to tell, and even Selena could be dangerously unpredictable. After we started shouting over unfair casting, hating each other, Rhea stopped trying to make a manga narrative and started leading us instead. Rhea was the only one who never, ever denied it. She knew everyone around us, parents, schoolmates, siblings, would go on living their lives, unseeing. She knew the destruction would somehow take care of itself, that undoing it would be the work of the goddess's other minions that the media would make up its own stories. We would not be seen or identified. She admitted that it was crazy, that monsters from the dark beyond did not exist in our neat suburban life. That doesn't mean it's not real, she said through a burst lip. In truth, Rhea probably never wanted to be leader, but someone had to be. She was the only one who knew, even in those first few months, that if we didn't fight, 
someone would get hurt, that people could die, and no amount of magic cleanup could reverse that. She was the one who held a knife to her wrist when we couldn't stop the part of that playground from smashing down on a little boy and girl. They didn't even have time to scream. They just went. And there was dark red seeping from under the metal, and oh God, they were dead. We weren't fast enough or strong enough, and they were dead. I wrenched the knife from Rhea's grasp and backhanded her. I felt terrible, but while she collapsed in sobs, I still found it in me to scream, Rhea, you idiot! You crazy idiot! We need you! Don't do that! Don't you ever freaking do that again! Days later, post-saving kids screaming in a bus, she apologized. Thanks, Alex, she said. I didn't... I don't actually want to die. I just couldn't believe it. When those kids... I know, I said. I gripped her hand. I couldn't say thank you for being strong enough for all of us. But maybe, if I held on tight enough, she'd know it anyway. I tried to quit my freshman year of college. I deleted my online accounts, changed my email address, moved to California, and begged mom and dad not to tell the girls where I had gone. I was deluded enough to think that maybe if I drowned myself in enough schoolwork and partying, the goddess would decide that I was useless, unworthy of being her warrior. She'd retract her blessing. I'd lose my powers, sure, but I could stop fighting. I was still awkward. I still sort of hated socializing, but I did college with a vengeance, hoping that would create normalcy. I kissed boys and girls, joined five different on-campus groups, tried to forget the feeling of slit guts through my fingers, the shrill scream of someone being stabbed through the armpit, the acrid burn of venom spilled on my back. It seemed to work. My bracelet didn't ping once, didn't drag me to the scene of trouble, that whole first semester. But I couldn't avoid Thanksgiving. Mom wheedled. Dad promised turkey. Plus, I felt like shit, like a coward, and lonely. I cried through the weekends when I wasn't partying or hungover. I used incognito browser windows to check on the girls, make sure they weren't dead yet. We'd all chosen some place other than Jersey for school. I couldn't help but say yes to Thanksgiving, especially when Mom mentioned fried rice, which she always used in lieu of stuffing. Back home, I left my bracelet, now cheap and childish-looking, a girl's plaything, on my dresser. I wouldn't bring it with me the following semester. No beams of white light here. No glowing crowns for the crime-fighting princesses. It's done, I thought. That wacko goddess has gone and recruited others for her army. The pure of heart could wage war on darkness, but that wasn't me anymore. College-aged was too old. I was free. Then a herd of wraiths descended on our town. We regrouped. I felt emphatically out of shape, but the white light splintered into the same old uniform around me. Smooth blouse, smooth pleated skirt, and how did I ever find my beautiful, powerful whip ugly or weak or cheap? 
it was priceless. Shoving the raids back through the portal into their world still felt more natural than shoving random clubbers' tongues down my throat. This was home in more ways than one, whether I liked it or not. Even now, I wondered if that brief period of freedom had been the goddess's way of showing me that I had no choice. We stood in the field after the battle, ragged, mud-slick, autumn leaves latched onto our aching bodies. Because the monster had been orange, Selena made a joke about pumpkin pie. It was Natalie, surprisingly, who said, Why are you such a white girl? We laughed ourselves sick until it was time for dinner. Oh my god, that dude just slapped his junk on her head. His giggle. What? Junk. I don't want to say the word dick here. It's just... Ew, he did it again. Dudes are gross. That one's pretty cute. Does Rob have better abs than that guy, Selena? What? Oh my god. I can't believe you asked that. <laughs> I need to pee. Answer my question, girl. Rhea, are you already wasted? You can't be wasted. It's only 12. I don't think Rob even has abs. The man on the stage gyrated around a lady sitting on a chair, sidling across her lap while she smiled in discomfort. Iko had discarded her penis headband and retreated outside for a smoke. Selena, who had already disappeared twice for special service, came back from the restroom and sat down beside me, wrapping one arm around my shoulder. Alex, she shouted into my ear. I feel like we haven't talked all night. I know, I shouted into her ear. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fucking stoked, I fist pumped. Are you excited to get your turn on the stage? We had paid extra for that. I hoped it was worth it. She shook her head a vehement no. I laughed. I held one of her curls in my fingers. Selena, I said, and found I did not have the willpower to shout. Selena, are you going to be happy? What? She leaned in closer. The music got louder because the man on the stage was now swinging back and forth in his leopard print thong, a feverish Tarzan. I hope you'll be happy, I said a bit louder. She pointed to her ear and shook her head. I shouted, I hope you get a fireman routine. She laughed. She mouthed, thank you. Then the club exploded. These days, I mostly loved no one, although I had tried a handful of times. I mean, I loved my family, and I loved our group in a special barnacle-like way, but that was a given. Once upon a time, I had loved Natalie differently, and in some scattered moments, I could admit that those times were not entirely over. But the few months we were girlfriends had been difficult. We mutually called it quits after a year of breathless kisses and exhausted cuddling, with everyone sort of knowingly but hesitantly teasing. Our friendship and the group survived the breakup. Sometimes I got this searing, painful certainty that we still loved each other. But holding on to a relationship took a special strength that I didn't have just then. After Natalie and I said friendship was what we both wanted, 
I decided to throw myself into work. Software development was the only career I'd ever considered having, and in between monster crushing, I wrote code for a mid-sized tech firm on the Lower East Side. I gave off enough vibes that most people in the office didn't try to learn much about me. Even if I could manage a conversation now, I still preferred a night in with Street Fighter or LOTR. I figured I was just burned out on human interactions, after a spectacularly social college life left me drained and hollow. At least I learned that I did not like the sex thing much. Fun fact, not all magical girls are virgins. But maybe loneliness was something we all struggled with. I first realized this when Aiko and I were stuck in a coffee shop by ourselves. She took moody sips of espresso. I poked at the latte art the barista had drawn in my foam. In the last two weeks, there had been three fights. We were tired, and five people was so few. There were probably others, but we were as blind to them as they were to us. Aiko was a nice person to be upset with. She never judged you for being tired or bitchy and she never BSed her feelings. Over the rim of her cup, she said, I think what sucks most is how no one else sees. You know, it gets pretty fucking lonely. I don't even care about the pain or exhaustion anymore, but there are days when I want to walk into walls until I black out. We're not alone, I said. She just stared at me. There were starburst scars across her knuckles that made my mouth dry. I didn't know how Selena and Rob managed to last this long. I'd never asked, and they'd been going strong for the last four years. I liked Rob well enough. Like everyone else close to us, the goddess magic cast a spell on him. He looked at Selena and saw the marketing consultant, not the girl holding a giant axe, splattered with guts and grime. He thought of us as her wild childhood friends. A year ago, pre-engagement, Selena sat each of us down, separately, and told us she really loved him, that she was not giving this up. We all said, okay. I wasn't sure if I really agreed, but I cared about Selena and her happiness, so... Slime splattered everywhere. Debris rained from above. People stampeded. I was thrown back by an invisible force, crashing into the table full of cocktails. Screams, roars, crescendoing with animal keening, chiseled torsos and flashing sequins, and the ceiling crumbling to reveal Manhattan sky, jeweled lights, and an enormous, slavering blob monster. There have to be others. I thought, muzzily, standing in the midst of all the broken glasses. Blood and what smelled like Bailey's dripped from my elbow. How can there be no other girls in this room who can fight? Younger girls. Better girls. Girls who aren't yet sick of this. And then, Selena. Selena, oh God, I just wanted her to have a good night. We didn't even get to go fucking dancing yet, and now this... I stood and yanked off my heels, anger rising past everything. Selena deserved a good night. She deserved a break, you big fucking monster. Why the fuck did you have to go and ruin it? I screamed, even as someone seized my arm. We gotta go. Rhea's voice, unutterably calm, 
though when I looked at her there was dread in her eyes, through the hair tumbled around her face, the dirt on her cheek. She tugged again, and we ran while jello blobs squalled and ejected a hissing stream of acid all over the plush couches. Someone screamed. Server? Tarzan? 21st birthday celebrant? All of the above? Flecks of acid got on my shoulder, sizzling through my dress straps, the pain like sharp darts. Holy shit. We lurched out, breathless. Fucking Irish coffee. I retched on our last step, turning my head so that I missed Rhea. Where the hell was everyone else? I grasped my wrist, and my insides turned to ice. My bracelet, I said. Shit, I left it. I know. Rhea said. Me too. Fuck. Sometime during the third drinking game. Rhea! Alex! Aiko, already transformed. Beautiful, dependable, angry Aiko. The necklace, now a cannon, melded into her arm. Natalie's getting your charm, so get clear. I'll hold it off. Aiko shouted, turning to blast a hole in its wobbling orange guts. Whenever I watched a battle... Everything slowed, all detail, all precision. Iko leapt, landed on top of a subway entrance, and fired shots that streaked through the sky bright blue, screaming everywhere. The crowd running the hell away, great, good. The blob shooting at Iko so that half her skirt got burned in its wake, and Iko falling to the ground in a loud string of expletives. She flipped in midair, Skirt swishing, cannon fire, then her body getting slapped away by a blob hand. She landed with a crunch, coughing up blood. Rhea yelled at me to get to an alley, goddammit, before her voice splintered away as a nearby deli's glass shattered. I raced towards Aiko, mind-numbing, certain she was dead, certain she would be okay. The monster saw me scurrying into its field of vision and pig squealed, and I wished, not for the first time, that desperation by itself could work magic, that the goddess would come fight her own battles. I held my arms up in a stance in front of Iko and said, You just try it, you big fucking bully. A globby hand heading straight for me, orange and vile and about to crush my windpipe. Selena, in a blaze of pink, hacking it apart. She had a sickening gash on one leg, probably from the exploded stage. That's my bridesmaid, fucker! She grabbed me and hauled me back. Alex, what the fuck? Here. Natalie this time, suddenly right behind me. I got her. When Natalie had her earrings in magic mode, she could teleport. I'd always thought that was unfairly cool. One gloved hand held my wrist, the other forced my bracelet up to my elbow. White light spiraled around us, melding to fit my body in the dress I was wearing for Selena's sake. Beside us, our bride-to-be stood, battle axe lengthening in her hands. Rage lined her face, seethed through her, while tears smudged makeup down her cheeks. She leaped and spun, backlit by the moon, and dove down so that her axe cleaved a chunk of monster. Acid gushed up in globs, and she flicked it off her arms in a furious gesture, slicing, vindictive, even as she spat out red. Classic Selena, 
radiant and violent as fuck when she wanted to be. Natalie was next to Aiko, helping her up, holding a hand against Aiko's probably broken ribs. Over here, you little bitch, Rhea yelled, beneath a billboard for Chicago, chainsaw roaring. The white on the peripheries of my vision sparked away to rainbows, to nothing. I pulled my whip taut between my hands. I raised my arm and let it whistle harshly through the night. We are never going to be free of this, Selena said in the aftermath, wearing the tattered remnants of her dress. Tears ran down her face. She looked more mad than sad, just a girl who'd had an awful night. Somehow her sash had survived the fight. The club, unfortunately, had not. We picked through the remnants of the monster as Natalie and Rhea hurried Iko to the nearest hospital. Selena found its glass heart, our offering to the goddess, the leftover manifestation of malice. She clutched it to her chest and wept as it dissolved, a swell of white filling her hands, then fading. When her palms were empty, she sank to her knees. I'm tired, Alex. I'm tired. So tired. I held her and rocked her back and forth, whispering, Things might still change, and shh, shh, I'm here. I stroked her hair, wiped her cheeks. Her tears were warm and heartbreaking. I thought, but if this ends, if we do finally become free, will we still be together? I felt selfish and awful and bone-tired, and also, for one brief, treacherous moment, Glad it wasn't over. It could have been worse. I know. You took it like a trooper, though, Natalie said, plucking a can of beer from the cooler. We were all set for a chill afternoon. A hard drive of several Netflix series, a DVD copy of Rhea's debut. We were 18 and had put on the most embarrassing dance number as part of her entourage, and Selena's oft-played box of taboo. Aiko was sitting up in bed and clicking through her laptop, deciding what to watch. Injured's privilege. Outside the hospital window, the sky was dense with clouds. The street was quiet. At least for today, it seemed like the goddess and the forces of evil did not give any shits about us. I mean, it could have happened on your wedding day. I know what. Selena said with a shove, so that Rhea toppled on the couch we'd drag next to the bed. God, it could still happen. It won't, I said, knocking on Aiko's headboard. No way. Selena smiled at me, eyes crinkling. Her arm was in a sling that by now was probably more for show. She'd be out of it in time for the wedding next week. I smiled back. If a monster came then... I would personally crush it to bits, with apologies to the bridesmaid's gown. What I love about this story is how Isabel pushes the envelope of a subgenre with known tropes and runs with it so enthusiastically. Sure, many would argue there's a certain sacredness in media from one's childhood, whether they're storybooks, TV shows, manga, or anime. 
But what fun it is to imagine your favorite characters evolving beyond their original boundaries. I think the author really succeeds at this. It, exactly. It's gonna. This is going to sound a little weird. But what I find so great about Hurricane Heels is how blasé the spectacular is, the, the magical elements. I mean, and I mean that as mm-hmm, a great compliment. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, you no, know, I, I understand exactly what you mean. You know, fighting yeah. a blob monster like it's some annoying guy at a bar interrupting the girls' <laughs> night out is fantastic. It's fantastic because it's deadpan. I see what you mean. I mean, especially when it's in the context of all these relatable hang-ups and anxieties that many young women go through. It's a coming-of-age story of finding oneself in the world. Like, how do you fit in your friend group when you're younger, mm-hmm. and do you all still fit together when you all grow up? But it's their, in this particular case, it's their powers that pull them back in and back together again. Totally. And Alex's disillusionment with those powers and the responsibilities they confer is heartbreaking. You really appreciate her struggle throughout the story. Also, fun fact, Isabel Yap wrote other short stories about these same magical young women, one from each girl's point of view, and they're collected in one volume entitled, appropriately enough, Hurricane Heels, which is the first story in the collection. So if you like this story and want more, ask about it at your favorite bookseller. If they don't have it in stock, they'll be happy to order it for you. Want? I'm on it. I want more of this world. Well, that's a good place to end this episode, I think. Welcome back again, Christina. We have a lot more amazing stories ahead of us. I can't wait. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to our show. And join us next time when we'll take a dark look at the future of war. Until then, pleasant nightmares. You're listening to Stories to Keep You Up at Night. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Stories to Keep You Up at Night, Episode 73, features Hurricane Heels by Isabel Yap. It is produced by Marco Palmieri and Mary Asadolahi. Associate produced by Alexis Latshaw and executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and Christina Teleska. Performed by Gail Shallon. Audio produced by Amanda Rose Smith and Spoken Realms. Additional editing by Angela Yee. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Stories to Keep You Up at Night by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.